Three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode of AT Talks. This is topic four, things I wish I knew when I started. This is episode three. This is our 29th video, and we have 28 YouTube subscribers, so the ratio is less than one. <laughs> but we have, we have five athletic trainers. We have Eli, we have Natasha, we have Matt, Ashley, and Dr. Nick Spangler. Uh, you might know Matt from TikTok. He's blowing up right now on the Twitters. Um, but if you could quickly introduce yourself, I would appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm Matt Shear. I'm currently a collegiate uh, athletic trainer at Mount St. Joseph University at, um, in Ohio. Anything else you want? Cool deal. My name is Nick. Um, I work in uh, Indiana. I work uh, underneath a chiropractor in a physician practice setting. Okay, I'll go next. Uh, my name is Ashley. I currently work as a collegiate athletic trainer at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Natasha, go for it. All right. Um, thanks, ladies. First, I guess, or sort of. Um, I'm Natasha. I work in corporate healthcare, and I design um, medical education. And I also teach intro to athletic training classes at the community college, and I'm in California. Nice, nice. And my name is Eli Kassab, and I'm an athletic trainer kind of in transition. I work in the collegiate setting right now. But I also do PRN work with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athletes and kind of just sort of experimenting with different areas. So, yeah. All right. Who wants to start off on uh, things they wish they knew when they started? What would you, if you go back in time and you could tell yourself something, what would you say? All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll start. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Because I got one on my mind, and that's basically, I wish, one thing I wish I would have known was how difficult some of the athletes can be to deal with. Because, oh, <laughs> you know, like, when you're, when you're an undergrad student, it's like, okay, like, here's, you know, here's, you know, here's rehab and treatment and modality, and, like, here's how you evaluate an injury from start to finish and return to play. Uh, but what they don't, what they fail to teach you is how to actually deal with the different personality types um well both good and bad but some of the like more difficult ones to deal with um until you like you really don't know how to handle it until you basically get out into the field and you run into the athlete who you just is just a difficult athlete in every form or fashion um that's kind of that was one of my my biggest things is is that's one thing i wish i would have learned a little bit about and just kind of how to handle and manage it and of course now over the years I've had enough experience where I've, I've kind of dealt with all types um so now it's a little bit easier but starting out man I was just kind of caught off guard I didn't really know how to deal with it I thought everything was simple here's your rehab do you rehab they're like okay thanks for getting me healthy I appreciate it no problem yeah, it doesn't always go that way yeah definitely I think like that was probably one of my biggest eye-openers too because like, especially when you're a student, that's the way it usually is. Like, you, like, someone comes in, you give them the rehab or you do the treatment. Like, sometimes they complain about what's going on. But then, like, when you're in charge, it's just, like, okay. Like, then you have to, like, figure out the personality types. Like, you got to figure out, like, okay, who's, like, 
not necessarily the toughest or they're just like really sensitive to pain. So like, it seems like they come to you every single day with something different versus like the person who doesn't want to say anything. And you're just trying to figure out like, okay, like they kind of say like it's bothering them, but is it like bothering or is this like actual, like a scale of like, it's like a seven on the one to 10 scale. And then also like kind of piggybacking off of that. It's like trying to figure out all the different personalities, like, especially like with me working with a collegiate team, there's so many different personalities between the 25 people that I work with. So then you have to like kind of figure out what me, what makes each person tick. And then like, you have to realize like the way that you're going to treat one person is different than the way you're going to treat another person because the two of them just respond completely differently or motivated by different things. Like some people don't want to say anything because they have the impression of like, oh, you're just going to hold me out if I tell you that I'm hurt with something. And then others, like, you kind of have to, like, they'll be out for something, and then you have to, like, kind of, like, push them, like, no, you're okay. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, you can get back into doing stuff. So I definitely piggyback off of Eli. Like, that's probably the biggest thing, just because we didn't have to deal with any of, like, all those different personalities and everything when we're students because our certified athletic trainers, our preceptors, were mainly the ones that dealt with that. Yeah. I think one thing kind of almost semi piggybacking off of that that I wish that I had known was like how to schedule treatments and like time management because like yeah. during my first year last year like I was like okay like I got this but like doing it in a collegiate setting around classes where they're like okay well I'm free my classes are at 9 10 and 1 30 you're like okay that there was no gaps in there <laughs> like so like where at what point am I able to schedule those and then Next thing I know, I have 10 guys coming in all needing treatment, but it's during pre-practice time because no other time works out. And so being able to slowly figure out like, okay, let's get someone in and out like 15, 30 minutes with a strong dedicated rehab um, and put them to work while being able to like maintain that personality and get that buy-in from the athlete has been one of the biggest things that like I had wished that I had learned because when you're a student, you just sit there and you know, like you show up to clinicals and you're like, okay, cool. Who do we have going in? But then you don't see like the background of the AT or like your preceptor, like, okay, doing all this time management, like, okay, so I have so-and-so coming in at 1115 and then at 1130, they're going to, someone else is going to come in and so on. So mm. going off that, and this is something that uh, Tom, you, and um, I think Bryce talked about is kind of like networking and you know, getting to know your community, getting to know kind of the people within your school. And I think this is pertinent, not just at like a high school, I think it, it goes for collegiate or even other settings. Um, when early on in your career, you, especially because of our profession, a lot of people don't know who we are. You can't take it when people when people question your decisions, or they question, you know, what you're doing, you can't take it personally, you have to understand yeah. that this is an opportunity to educate people, hey, I'm the athletic trainer. This is what I do and explain, Hey, uh, here's X, Y, and Z, why I'm making this medical decision. And cause I think 90% of the time when people are opposing us, they're coming from a place of ignorance cause they just don't understand. And very rarely are people like, Oh, I just hate athletic trainers or, Oh, I just want to be a, a pain in someone's butt. Like if you, if you're reasonable with someone and you try and educate them, they're more than likely going to buy in. They may not immediately buy in, but if you kind of explain it and give them some time, they're going to come around. Um, and then if they don't, that's a whole nother issue. But generally speaking, I think most people are reasonable and 
um, looking at that as an opportunity to educate and not, you know, get flustered or be combative about it. Don't take it personal as like they're attacking you. Understand that this person just doesn't understand what I do and I need to explain that better to them. Yeah, and I think like not all the time it's like they're trying to say something personally against you. Like sometimes it's not because they don't understand like what you are as an athletic trainer, but sometimes it's based off of like their previous experiences with athletic trainers or especially if you are talking with coaches or administrators who have been in the game for a long time. So it's like when you're trying to explain like a knee injury or something like they're going to have that bias in their head of like, Oh, well this person had this injury that like looked like the same thing. And this is how this went down. Like I know, like, especially with me working women's soccer, I see that a lot with ACLs like, Oh, well this person tore their ACL and they got back in six months. Why is this person taking longer? And like that education part really comes in, um, just explaining like especially with ACLs right now like a lot of the research is changing or like every person heals at a different rate like even if it's something as simple as a fracture or a muscle strain or something like that and just being able to acknowledge I think the biggest thing is like acknowledging like I understand where you're coming from I understand whatever frustrations you have and then giving them the education because then and especially like playing with them like we're all on the same team like we all want this athlete to get better or we want this patient to get better and we want them to improve. And these are the steps that I think is going to like lead us to the most success in order to help them. Asha, what do you think? Um, awesome. I was just going to jump in too. So I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I mean, I agree with all of that. I feel like we all came from that uh, environment where like you go from, you know, not having your own kind of thing to having your own thing, but I will, um, age myself. I was like the last class um, that took the original BOC with like the three the different sections. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, putting stickers on uh, different anatomical <laughs> areas. So um, coming from that, like we did um, when I was like a student athletic trainer, we, we did have um, a lot of like our own teams like we would get an entire water polo team and although like it's supposed to be low injury it's still like oh well I'm in charge um so we got a little bit I feel like more experience that way but then um I feel like a lot of the focus was on your patient is your athlete and your athlete is your patient where I the thing that I wish I would have known is the different career trajectories that we can have as athletic trainers um you know kind of go, going into like performance and the military and um service fields and different things like that and i'm speaking obviously from uh area right now where i'm working for a corporate company and i'm not seeing patients i'm not doing any of that but i'm using my education to create curriculum for um you know medical um different medical conditions and things like that so um, just knowing that, and I mean, I, again, I'm in California, so here, um, part of me not knowing these different career fields that we can possibly go into and, like, learning as we go, I came back from my master's program and was offered positions at, you know, $15 an hour, and in California, like, that barely covers gas, um, so, <laughs> yep. Yeah, so it was, you know, hard, like, I was down on myself, like, oh my gosh, I have a master's degree, I now have, you know, three or four years 
experience. I've had my own teams, all of this stuff and trying to search for jobs. So just kind of that. And I know they're doing a lot of that at the like different conventions nowadays and things, but just going in and um, having your program really go over that stuff. Um, as opposed to learning about it as you're trying to search for jobs. I think that's what I wish our program would have done. Cause I, I mean, I'm sure with most of you, as far as the clinicals go, um, you know, it was just different teams, different settings as in high school, collegiate, junior college, and then maybe a PT clinic, but you don't go anywhere else. Um, so I think they're doing more of that now, but I wish I just knew more about that before job searching and trying to figure out what to do with my life as an athletic trainer. Round two. Anybody else have anything that they wish they knew? I'll, uh, I'll, uh, piggyback, off, oh, I'll piggyback off the job thing and just say something I wish I knew. And uh, it's, I think when you come out of, uh, whether it was undergrad or you come out of grad school, whatever, you know, degree track, um, you, I think there's always that pressure that I need to get a job. And when you're in those interviews and you're getting to the point where you might be getting some job offers, I think that sometimes we feel pressured that they have all the leverage that like, oh my God, I have to take this because if I say no, like what, ha what happens and I don't have options. And I think the thing I would tell my younger self is that you do have leverage because if you, if you think about it from their side, they've invested time into your interview. You've probably had at least a phone interview and an in-person depending on, you know, how, how rigorous they went. Um, they've narrowed it down to probably a select number of candidates. So for them, they've invested time and resources into vetting you and saying, this is the person we want. So if something about that job, perhaps, you know, there's something about it that you're saying, mm, maybe this isn't as good as I would like it to be, or if this, if this aspect of the job would change a little bit, or if I can negotiate this, that would be better. Don't feel pressured into saying yes. Understand that, hey, you know what, they also want me, so I need to negotiate a little bit and say, hey, you know what, I think I'm, just, I'm worth a little bit more, or I deserve more vacation or whatever aspect, or if I'm moving across the country, they should have to, they should maybe reimburse me for my moving fees or understand that you have some leverage in that decision. It's not all that, oh my God, I have to take this. Understand that, you know, they've put time and resources into you. So use that to your advantage and don't feel like you just have to take a job because, oh my God, like I need to find a job after school because loans and understandable, yes, like financial financial problems and the finances that come with school are a real thing, but don't feel, don't feel like all the leverage is on their side. You have leverage in that situation too. And you should be able to say no if something doesn't feel right or comfortable about a job. Yeah, I know. I've definitely gone into job interviews and um, like I was really trying to find a position because like grad school was getting ready to be over and I was like looking around, I was just getting desperate. And I did go on like a couple on campus or have like phone interviews and I'd get off of them and I'd be like, you know, like maybe that didn't feel right. Like I didn't like this about the position, like whether it was the pay, whether it was just like the interactions that I was having with the people. And I remember feeling like pressured, like, okay, well like this could still be a job. Like I need a job because I'm like about to finish grad school. I'm gonna have student loans and everything. But then like realizing as I like kind of moved on from some of those experiences for, for one way or another and like looking back and like 
man, if I had taken that, like if they had offered, I probably would have taken it in the moment just because it was a job. But like, I would have been freaking miserable. And like, that's not worth it. Like, just because there's, there's so much time and investment and everything that we pour into our job. Like, we're not just like, even if you're working in the corporate setting, or even if you're working in the different settings, not just in educational, but like we're investing a lot of time and a lot of effort and there's so much that goes on like we owe it to ourselves really to make sure that we're in a good position i remember just to pick it back off of that and then i'll add another little like tidbit to it is i remember when i finished grad school one of the first job offers i got was um in a collegiate setting division one full-time position and the offer was like eighteen thousand dollars a year <laughs> right i know so i knew but I, I ended up turning that down and i was just because I, I was kind of in a, in a mentality of like okay that that's a little extreme like i i can i can do better than that yeah. um but and, and i think uh, another thing like i would have um liked to have known or told my younger self um like nick was saying um uh i think for me it's it's um I wish I would have known more about how much athletic training can consume your life at various levels. Obviously there's, you know, like Natasha, like we're, we're to different settings, right? There's industrial military, like, you know, and so um, I think just having a better understanding of each setting and then what the, what the sort of time uh, commitments are for each one of those. I didn't really realize and it's kind of a little bit what I've been experimenting still with now, but like, um, I think just realizing how much of a time commitment it is at like in every type of um, area in athletic training and, and, and how much it can really, you know, uh, consume you all the way from like professional level all the way down. And, um, you know, cause that's definitely that's something that kind of caught me off guard when, when I got into it, you know, I knew it was busy and long hours and stuff, but I didn't realize how much it can, it can potentially, you know, handcuff you at times, obviously it depends on your setting and your industry and your, you know, where you're at, but. Yeah. Hey guys, a, a quick plug. Well, not really a plug. Have any, have any of you visited the NATA Career Center? Um, I work in there every yeah. year. Okay. I, awesome. So I like, I kind of like from these conversations, I'm kind of taking some things that like maybe we can, um, in the Career Center, we can improve and like post or have maybe like people come in and talk to others about it because I feel like a lot of, at least for me personally, and from what I'm hearing, a lot of the things that we did know were, um, or things we wish we would have known were things related to career searching and career development and all of that. So um, I'm glad to hear someone visited. Um, but yeah, we're, I hope to see you guys in Atlanta this year. Um, I work, I'm a key volunteer so. in the career center every year. So come visit. <laughs> I think I want to have uh, a shirt made that says AT talks and then make everybody mad yeah. that I'm not wearing a dress shirt and tie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, if you have them made, uh, I'll uh, sport one. I'll snag one. Yeah. Uh, Matt, do you have a, a round two, something you wish you knew? Um, I had one and then I, um, you know, I had one and then I totally blanked on it after you after, were thinking uh, about your next TikTok. That's why. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to think I got all these memories and all these ideas, but yeah, no, um, 
Yeah, I'm kind of lost. If I remember it, I'll, I'll come back to it for sure. Okay. Anybody have a, a third thing that they would tell themselves? I know Nick does. I, I know I have one. Anyone yeah, so go, go ahead, Nick. Okay. This one, so this one is more specific to maybe the physician practice, the clinic setting where you're working with other healthcare providers. Specifically, if you're working with someone who's kind of supervising you directly, I think you have to understand that you're going to go into that setting and, you know, when you're in the high school setting or maybe collegiate and athletic trainers are all you work around, you can kind of call your own shots more. You have more autonomy as a practitioner. You make more decisions. Whereas when you're working physician practice, that's the physician. You may have some input. You may have some influence. He may ask you for your opinion, but I think you have to understand you're losing some autonomy in that sense, um, depending on the physician you work with. The other thing is that because physicians, depending on the setting, they do get pretty specialized. There are going to be things in the history taking or within the documentation or within the examination that you're not going to be prepared for, where you're just, you're going to have to learn those things on the job because that's how that physician is going to want things done. And you have to be humble because there are going to be areas, even within the orthopedic realm, which I think we are very, very good at, you're going to be outclassed or, you know, outknowledged in some areas you didn't realize. Um, and you have to be humble about it. You have to take it and learn from it and grow. And I think that you should want someone that's going to tell you like, Hey, this needs to be better. Or, Hey, like you could do, you could learn in this area more and I'm going to help you. Or here's how I can help you. You want to be around those people, but you have to be humble about it. You can't, again, you can't take it as, oh, they're attacking me and they're calling me stupid. No, they want to help you, but they can't help you if you don't accept the fact that, you know, you have room to grow. That was an issue I struggled with in undergrad because I felt, I always felt like I was ahead of the curve, ahead of the class. And then when they would give me that, that critical feedback, I, I would get upset. It's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm killing it out here. It's like, no, you're, you're okay, but you can get a lot better here. You get a lot better here. You get a lot better here. Just relax, take it in and grow from it. It's great advice. Yep. Did you think of it, Matt? Uh, yeah. So I, I think one of the biggest things that like I'm kind of running into more so this past fall, because I mean, I'm only in my second year as a certified. So a lot of these things, like I'm still like trying to learn and sift through. And when it's like, oh, what would I tell my younger self? It's like, um, I'm still there. Um, but, <laughs> but like at the same time, I think a big thing is in kind of piggybacking off of Eli's point about like how much like athletic training absorbs your life, like being able to, how to effectively create the line of like the work. And, and so, and I think, yes, you can call it a balance, but at the same time I've, I've heard a quote and I've really liked it. And it's like, when you want to be good at something, there isn't really a balance at all like um balanced isn't always like perfect and so just kind of taking that but also trying to figure out like what line do i keep with my athletes in terms of like open communication and being able to like when i close that door to the at room and i turn my car and i start heading home like and maybe i spend that 30 minutes reflecting on how the day went what could, what i could have done better and what um and maybe kind of lightly plan for the day ahead tomorrow and then once i walk in my front door like just kind of shutting it off um has been a big learning point at least this year for me um just because like being so close to my athlete's age i think a lot of them see me as 
almost a friend, but I still have to be able to draw that line so that I'm staying professional, but also um, so that I can have a life outside of athletic training as much as I love it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, making sure that like athletic training isn't taking up our like, just our entire life and kind of ruining everything. I actually went, um, our school was hosting kind of like a mental health, uh, thing, uh, that I went to. And it was actually really interesting because we spent almost half the time, like we spent half the time talking about like if athletes or just like patients are in distress. Cause it was, um, there were like counselors there and people from the, uh, career center and like anybody who works with students, like, and you start to see like warning signs about like, oh, like they may benefit from counseling or like something's going on and like making sure that you're not just taking all the responsibility for that. Like a big part of our job is referring like, oh, okay. Like, I think you have a broken bone. You need to go to an orthopedic or, Hey, like you're sick. You need to go to like a general practitioner. Like part of that is the mental health. So that was kind of like half of the talk. But then the other half of the talk was like, you have to be able to take care of yourself in order to be able to perform your job effectively. So some of the things that we talked about, and I really like started thinking about it was you need to start learning like what your triggers are for when like you're starting to get like off balance, like, okay, here's like when I start to like feel like kind of like my cup is running out, like these are the warning signs, like, and things that I notice. like I'll start like kind of getting snippy with people who like don't come in when they're supposed to, or like I go home and I start complaining about like stupid little things to my significant other and then realizing, okay, these are like my warning signs for like, I don't have anything else to give. So then what are the things that we can do to kind of restore ourselves? Because if we're running on like an empty cup or like if we don't have any gas in the tank, like we're not going to be able to effectively treat our athletes. So as much as we care for them, we have to care for ourselves too. And that comes with the creating boundaries. Like some of the things I have are like, they're not allowed to text me after a certain time or like I tell them like, Hey, I'm going out of town this weekend. If any of you call me or text me, like I'm not responding to any of it. Like I'm not looking at it. I'll see it in the office on Monday. If it's an emergency call 911. Cause you all know how to do that. Um, so I think like being able to like create those boundaries and uh, making sure that you're taking care of yourself in the process. Cause otherwise we're not going to be able to take care of them. And I think also being able to let yourself like mentally be okay with like setting those boundaries and not feeling guilty is like yeah. a big thing that like I've started to try and like really learn in the past few months. Like it's okay for me to like not respond to the text at like nine 30 that I might think is like very, very critical to the athlete. But like in reality, like, it can wait till I wake up tomorrow and I do everything that I need to and I step in the office. Yeah. And then real quick, because I know we're running out of time. We've got, you know, four and a half minutes left. But um, I just real quick wanted to piggyback off of uh, Matt from the, like, the work-life balance sort of thing. One thing for me personally that I've kind of, like, uh, learned over the years, and um, and it's kind of how I view it, but it's, it's looking at it as instead of work-life balance, for me, it really helped – was looking at it as like work-life integration because you know I, I for me it's like you know work is such a big part of our lives where it's essentially is what it is it's integrated and so it's for me it's been really trying to find you know a, a job or a career or a setting or whatever that really integrates into the life that I want to live and create versus trying to really separate the two I'm not saying it's right or wrong but it's just something that I've kind of changed my viewpoint on and it's kind of helped me kind of better find a uh, I guess a balance or integration, depending on what viewpoint you want to take on it. But um, so that's kind of, at least personally, that's kind of helped me sort of 
um, reevaluate and kind of better navigate, you know, the career path and like find settings that um, a little bit more lined up with, you know, how I want to live my life. So. Yeah. I I was just going to say, I like that Eli, especially since I feel like that kind of leads into one of the other things that I wish I would have thought about more or known um, when I was going through undergrad and even after undergrad, I worked at a high school as an athletic trainer before going to grad school. Um, And I always thought like, oh, it's educators versus those of us that are clinicians and that are practicing because I was like in it and I was, you know, gung ho about I'm going to be, you know, a clinician for the rest of my life. And (laughs) then, you know, I, I got married and I have a little baby now and all of this other stuff. And so, you know, again, like finding that, um, you know, not necessarily balanced, but finding that life that I'm comfortable with. So for me, you know, I do, I work, I want to say nine to five, but it's not, it's six 30 in the morning till three 30. Um, and Monday through Friday and it's perfect for me and I work from home. Um, so I get to, you know, be with my kiddo and all of that good stuff. So, and I'm still in the medical field. I'm still teaching classes. So for me, again, it was finding that area of where I still felt valuable with my athletic training background and everything. Um, but was comfortable personally and professionally. And um, so I think the thing is for me, networking and talking to everyone and understanding everyone's background, because now um, with my research, um, I just finished, I think I said this on the last talk, but I just finished my um, doctorate last year and finding people to research with and finding people to talk to. I reached out to a lot of my clinician friends and they were like, oh, you're just in education. Like, I'm not gonna give you the time of day. And I started thinking back on like, was I like that when I was a clinician? (laughs) I say those things, did I do those things? So just, you know, kind of to my younger self, like I want, I should have been more open because now as an older adult, um, you know, I kind of go back and I'm like, oh, well, you know, this is a little bit different than what I've done or that someone's done. And so just having those relationships and kind of knowing what everyone does and what's out there and the communication, I think that's important. So um, again, I appreciate these conversations just because I think that that gives us all an opportunity to learn, um, you know, so that when we're even older, we can be like, oh, I wish I would have told myself this, but I did because I was on this talk. So, so next time when we have a talk, I need to introduce you as Dr. Natasha Denmark. Um, you can. Oh, I'm sorry then. Yes, I, I, did, I didn't know. It was no, we talked earlier. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're good. I, I go, you can call me whatever you want as long as it's not. All right, we'll call, uh, we'll call you a doctor <laughs> next time. But we're uh, any second now, this is going to boot us out because there's a 40 minute limit because this is the yeah. free version of Zoom. Oh, gosh. Uh, so thank you for coming on uh, and talking about this. Then I would like to have you guys back for future topics. I've already had Nick and Eli and Natasha on more than once. First timers, Matt, Ashley. Mm-hmm. But thank you for spending time on your Wednesday with us. Thank you.